We are going to continue this morning in a sermon series called Marked, and it's a study of the book of Mark. Um, If you've been hanging out with us for a while, um, you know this will be going on. Uh, We'll be taking some breaks over the holidays and stuff like that, but by and large, when you look at the book of Mark, I would encourage you to read it. I think I've said that like every week so far. I'll probably say it a few more times. Um, Encourage you to read the book of Mark. Um, Some folks said they're just reading right ahead of where we're at. That's perfectly fine as well. You can pretty much guarantee we're going to start where we left off. So if you're going to be here next week, you can just read the next little section of scripture, come back and uh, have a conversation with us about it. Um, I actually had something I wanted to share with you this morning, but I didn't bring it, which is kind of funny. I, like, I got here and I'm like, oh, I didn't bring this. H- have you ever seen a word cloud? Anybody seen a word cloud before? You, yeah, a few of you? Okay. Like, s- um, some of you probably have seen a word cloud. You don't know you've seen a word cloud. A lot of your websites, if you go to a blog or something, it'll have a whole bunch of words on the side. Who's seen that? On the side, there's a bunch of words. Some are big, some are small. Yeah, a few of you now have seen it. And um, that's actually an auto-generated word cloud that you can kind of click on those topics, you know, whatever, and read a blog entry about that. Um, there's actually an app that you can create, uh, or that you can use to create a word cloud. And so what I did this week, and I didn't bring it. I'll bring it next week, though, so you'll be able to see it. And you can do it yourself if you want to put the time into this. But I actually created a word cloud of the Gospel of Mark. And what it does is it makes the words that are more prominent, more often repeated in the book, bigger. And, and then it makes the other words smaller until it gets all the words in the word cloud. So every word in the book, book of Mark is in this image. Um, but the large ones kind of really pronounced. And it was really interesting to see. And I'll, I'll show you maybe next week. You'll see more detail of actually what it said. But the thing that struck me at first was <clears throat> I was... I did the word cloud thing, and then um, I looked at it, and it said, like, disciple, it said um, uh, Peter, and it said uh, will, and went, and all these kind of action words. We've been talking about how the book of Mark is very action-oriented, very fast-paced. But then it hit me, I thought, wait a minute, it doesn't have Jesus in it. And, And I've been reading the Bible for a while, and I'm like, wait a minute. Isn't Jesus mentioned in the book of Mark? Like, a lot? <laughs> you know? So I was digging around, the, and I started doing some research. So right away, this is where I went. Now it was a good or a bad thing. Maybe you're like me, maybe you're not. But I immediately thought, this website is suppressing the name of Jesus. That's what has to be happening here. I was convinced that was going on. So I actually Googled that, like, does word cloud suppress Jesus? <laughs> you know, like, there's some conspiracy to keep Jesus down. It just must have been. And then what I realized was I had a setting wrong. And, it, and, and Jesus was mentioned so many times in the book of Mark that if they had started with Jesus, the words wouldn't fit in the word cloud. So I made an adjustment. You'll see next week, Jesus is the largest reference. And, and that's just something to keep in mind as we consider the book of Mark and uh, we talk about scripture, but, and it's something that's interesting to do maybe, maybe if you're into that kind of stuff, um, to visualize things a little differently, but to realize and literally um, it, 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 the word Jesus appears more than twice as much as any other word in the book of Mark. This is the gospel of Mark, but it's the gospel about Jesus. All those other names are still in there, but they're much smaller. And if you think about that, this book, because I start thinking like for the moment where I didn't see his name, I'm like, maybe it's all about him, but it doesn't mention him. Like that doesn't make any sense at all. Truly, the whole word, the whole book is wrapped up in that word, the word of Jesus. And, and um, we've talked already about how Mark very quickly is accelerating us into the ministry and life of Jesus, about how that week one there was this huge table set for the coming Messiah, the anointed one, right? Mark actually refers to him that way as Jesus the Messiah. That's a prophecy fulfilled, the prophecy fulfilled for Jews, actually. 
And then last we talked about this idea of Jesus' own baptism for righteousness sake and how he will baptize us in the Holy Spirit and we live in that fulfilled time now that we are baptized upon belief in the Holy Spirit even as we often act in this form of baptism for the remission of our sins, right? Which is why we do this whole dipping and coming out. It's this reminder, this recognition that our sins are forgiven in Jesus' name alone. And, and we have that call and, and uh, word from Jesus that that's what we're called to do at the end of, of the Gospels that you and I are called to be part of that. And so today we're going to pick up right there where we left off last week. And I want to pray before we enter into God's word. But I want to say that today is going to be about three simple words about four specific people. Four particular stories, three words that change everything for those who would hear and respond to Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that today. Um, I want to do what we always do. Um, I want to pray, and then we're going to get into the scriptures this morning that God might give us wisdom. That's our prayer. Uh, pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for this day to come and worship you, to sing songs of your grace and your amazing splendor and your presence and our need for you and your goodness to us. Um, Father God, that you are worthy of worship. And honestly, Father, I feel compelled to confess that you are worthy of worship when we feel like it and when we don't. That you are always God of the universe. You're always God's sovereign. You're always in, in charge and you are due all praise. And so Father, I pray that today we could just sit in that place with you and recognize you as the God who is worthy of worship. And again, not just ours, but of all creation. We are bound up in you. We are caught up in your story. Today, Father God, as we come into your word, I pray you give us new minds, uh, open soft hearts um, to, to see and hear and understand the word and to let, it, let your word penetrate us again. Let your word do work in our lives again. Um, maybe we need to be renewed or we need to be attentive to you. Maybe we need to be soft towards you. Maybe we need, you know, the shell needs to come off, whatever it is, Father, that you would do that work today um, in your grace for your people, for your namesake in this world. We love you so much. We thank you for um, the opportunity we have now to study. Uh, we need your wisdom. We bring that on our own, and we ask that you would impart it to us in your grace and mercy. We thank you so much for the opportunity to come together, to gather, to worship, to pray, to think, and to study. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go to the book of Mark. If you want to turn there, you can pretty much guarantee we're going to be in Mark every week in this series, right? And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 22. A little, little passage of scripture here we're going to talk about. And we're going to jump around a little bit this morning to get a little more of the story. Because again, Mark goes very quickly through these, uh, these you know, proceedings into the totality of Jesus' life. This reference of what Jesus um, did starting in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Verse 19. When he had gone on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Verse 21, then they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not like teachers of the law. 
This is the very succinct, very specific story of Jesus calling the first disciples. I want to remind you that last week we talked about how Jesus had come back to Galilee, and I'll remind you that he came back to Galilee when he heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison. And he began to proclaim the good news. And this is what he said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe good news. It comes at this very difficult time. Uh, John had been uh, preaching the baptism for remission of sins. He was saying, come and be baptized, your sinners, make way the path of the Lord. And then now he's in prison and Jesus returns to Galilee. I want to make the physical connection for you that this is all part of his journey and that indeed he has kind of come full circle back to Galilee where he had been sent out into the desert. And we hear the story of him walking along the Sea of Galilee and we get this mental image, maybe, of Jesus just kind of cruising down the beach, wondering what he will do next. Maybe that's what, I don't know, what image do you get? That's kind of the image I get. You know, he's sent out into the desert. He's tempted by Satan. He comes back. He's called to Galilee when he hears John's in prison. And then he begins to walk along the beach, looking for who he might call. And we hear the immediacy of what happens, right? He, he sees these two guys in the boat. He calls them. They leave their nets. They follow him. He sees two more guys in the boat with their father. He calls them. They leave their father, and they come and follow Jesus. And he goes to synagogue and starts to preach. This is the very fast story of what's happening in Jesus' life. So much of the stuff I want to unpack a little bit today about the quickness of the response of the disciples on the call. I don't know... I always think, like, how do they respond so quickly to Jesus? I guess what I'm really asking is why, or would I? Would I respond that quickly? If Jesus said those three words to me, and maybe if he said them to you today, would you respond as quickly? Would you leave everything and follow him? He says these words, come, follow me. Three words. So I want to talk for a minute here about the first two guys that he encounters. Their names are Simon and Andrew. And it says very succinctly, they were casting a net because they were fishermen, <laughs> which is kind of funny, I think, because like, why else would they be casting a net unless they're fishermen? So that's why they're there. I mean, like, what, what are they doing hanging out there? They're fishing. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And the, um, Mark makes very quick work of that. Here's where they're at. Here's what they're doing. Here's why. I want to talk to you for a moment about the story of Simon and Andrew. This will require us to move to another book of the Bible. I hope you're okay with that. We're going to flip over to the book of John. So turn there if you would. John chapter 1. If you don't know, that's the fourth gospel. Um, it would go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So you go past Luke on to John, and we're going to start there in John 1. Verse 35. This is going to be a little bit of background on, si on Simon and Andrew, the first two fishermen Jesus encounters. The first day, or the next day, John was there again with his two disciples. Now, this would be John the Baptist was there. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Okay, so get the image. John, who's been baptizing in the desert, right? sees Jesus and says, behold, to his disciples, it's the Lamb of God. As a matter of fact, if you, if you um, do what I do, you can just flip back and you can see that um, this is, yeah, this is after Jesus' baptism. It's about the, because it says the testimony about this, 
of Jesus, that I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven as a dove and remained on him. He was telling the story to his disciples. And then the next day, he sees Jesus walking by, and he says, behold, it's the Lamb of God to his disciples. Reading on, verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, they began to follow Jesus. Okay, so two dudes who were following John began to follow Jesus because their teacher had said, you know, that's the Lamb of God. 38, turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, what do you want? And they replied like this, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? These two disciples of John immediately, these followers of John immediately began to follow Jesus. Come, he says, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. That was about the 10th hour. Now here's where we're going to connect the text. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Did you catch that, right? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John said and began to follow Jesus. This is Andrew from the Gospel of Mark. So what this means in our timeline is that after Jesus' baptism and before he encounters them at the lake, in, at lake of Galilee, they have had this experience with Jesus. And Andrew is one of the disciples of John. That means a few things. That means that, John, that Andrew had been baptized for the remission of sins. He had made straight paths for the Lord. He had prepared his life to receive the Messiah. And then here in the Gospel of John, when he hears, behold, it's the Lamb of God, he immediately begins to follow Jesus. Okay, now, you, you might be thinking what I was thinking, which is, okay, that means the second dude is going to be Simon, <laughs> right? It's going to be Simon. Check it out. The first thing Andrew did was to go and find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. So what we realize is that was not Simon there, it was Andrew, and Andrew went and brought his brother to Jesus. I want to spend just a minute to talk about this experience and, and maybe just wonder a little bit about what's happening in, in Andrew and Simon's life. Andrew had been one who had responded to the call of John the Baptist. He had been one who had been baptized, making way, making a straight path for the Lord, admitting, I'm a sinner, I need the Lord in my life, and being baptized. Remember, there had been silence for 400 years in Israel, but he was a responder, he was an obedient one, and whenever he heard that this is possibly the Messiah, and he began to follow him, he spent a day with him, his heart, he begins to think, who needs to know this and he rushes to tell his brother Simon, Simon, you have to come. Simon, it's the Messiah. See, I think we can read the Bible so antiseptically. I don't know why I keep trying to say that word, antiseptic. Is that a word, right? Yeah? Like cleanly, like uh, it's, not, it's not about people like us, right? But here you have this very visceral, very real. Why isn't Andrew with Simon already? Maybe another question we could ask is, why later, when Jesus returns and John the Baptist is in prison, are Simon and Andrew fishing? 
what is going on with that? And where was Simon now? I love, love, love Andrew's heart here. That when he hears about Jesus, he immediately goes to grab his brother. You have to come. We found the one. This is the Messiah, the Christ. And he brings his brother to Jesus. Now check this out. Jesus looks at him. This is Simon. And he says, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter which is translated the rock, Petros. You know, I was just thinking about this like in the form of Christian history, right? Um, who knows who St. Peter is? We all say St. Peter, yeah? Some of you have heard they name cathedrals after St. Peter, don't they? <laughs> right? Peter's kind of a big deal, you know what I mean? Who is St. Andrew? You've heard of him, but maybe. He's just the guy that ran to get Simon. <laughs> He's just the guy that went to someone and said, you have to meet Jesus. And the rest, as they say, is history. You will be called the rock. I think that's so funny. By the way, isn't it cool that Jesus loves nicknames? This got me thinking all week. This is my, my, my prayer all week. Is like, Jesus, what's my nickname? <laughs> the words that came to mind weren't very flattering. <laughs> But I wonder, you know, if for Peter, I wonder if he thought it was very flattering to be called The Rock. Because, like, we think, like, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, maybe. That's what you think, right? I'm The Rock. I mean, he's like, he's, like, the coolest guy, right? The Rock. But I don't think, like, you know, when you think about the comparison of, like, what rocks do, like, they sink in water. Is that ironic, right? Because it's Peter. Hey, Rock, get out of the boat. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, you stub your toe on rocks, <laughs> you know, you trip over them. You're going to be the rock. What's up, rock? I wonder if he even liked being called that by Jesus. Like, really? Can you, can you call me Simon? No, rock, I can't. Petros. Petros, I can't, man. What's up, Petros? Although, I have to say, and I've never been good at giving nicknames, and um, I've only had a few, and again, they're usually very flattering. <laughs> but uh, people who give nicknames are awesome, aren't they? Like, for a minute, you're annoyed by nicknames until you find out it's a term of endearment, affection, and then you begin to go, that's who I am. That's my new identity, right? And, and you live in that space of your nickname. And so this is true. Okay, so that's true of, of Peter. So there's a little bit of background on, on Simon and Andrew, his brother, and this reality. Now, I say I have to say this, that whenever Jesus walks up, now this is key here, um, this isn't the first time he's met these guys, right? It's not the first time he's met these guys. So this would have been him coming to them again. Oh, this is the Lamb of God. This, this is the one that John was talking about. Perhaps that will give us a view of why they would immediately, immediately drop their nets and follow him. Right? We spend a day with this guy. Uh, this is the guy that calls you the rock. Right? Um, funny. Funny, by the way, still that he's going by Simon as well. Okay, so we know this is a second encounter that Jesus has with these disciples as he follows them. Now, I want to give you a more robust description of this encounter. It's going to tie into the second two uh, brothers that, that Jesus goes and meets. And this is going to be from the Gospel of Luke. So if you would turn to the Gospel of Luke, again, that's right behind Mark. Um, and we're going to go to Luke chapter 5. Luke 5. This will give you an idea of how much 
detail Mark skips over because he wants to get to the point of the book. And we will get there, I promise. But I thought it was worth taking time to talk through this this morning. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. This is the word. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gesenaret, that is also trans- translated Galilee in some transcripts, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. I, I want to stop. What's going to happen in a minute is he's going to go and he's going to get in a boat with two dudes. And that's Andrew and Simon. That's what's about to happen. But what, what I want us to see from the Gospel of Mark that we don't get is that if you flipped your page like I could do here back, Jesus, after his temptation, his ministry is in full swing, right? He comes back and begins to preach we heard that already. Repent, the kingdom of God is near. But it's not like Jesus had nothing going before he met the disciples. That's kind of how Mark reads a little bit, right? Like, like Jesus was just doing nothing until the disciples, and then the disciples, everything blew up with the disciples. That's when things really got going. No, that's whenever they began to tell the story, to realize all that God was doing. The truth is that Jesus' ministry was full bore already by himself. It says that he was teaching and there was such a great crowd gathered by the water's edge that he saw there two boats that, and, and left there by their fishermen who were washing their nets. Interesting. This is the same encounter. They're washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little way from the shore. And then he sat down and he began to teach the people from the boat. Now we've heard this story, but isn't it interesting to connect those two experiences, right? When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. But Simon answered this way, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down my nets. I love the story of the nets here. We have then, when Jesus meets Simon and Andrew, they were wore out. They had been fishing all night, and not only that, they hadn't been catching anything. So they were washing their nets, I'm assuming getting ready to put them away. I'm not a net fisherman. I guess that's what you do. And call it a day. Get out of here. And while they're washing their nets, Jesus comes up, right? And he has a crowd of people with him. And he gets in the boat and says, put out. And then after he teaches, and by the way, can we just say this? And I think this is so true even today, that so much of the time we believe that God is instructing someone else and he's instructing us. Do you think that might be true? I can't tell you how many times I sit in the church with people, and I'm not talking when I preach, I'm when I sit with folks in a church, and they'll lean over and they'll say, you know, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this right now, because they need to hear it, right? Because somebody's always preaching to somebody else, teaching somebody else, right? But here is Peter in the boat with Jesus, and he's hearing, obviously, what Jesus is teaching the crowd, and then Jesus, to make a point to Peter, Simon, what he's doing, he says, hey, let's go fishing. Now that I'm done teaching, let's go fishing. I mean, Peter's like, did my good deed for the day, right? Master, I put us out. What? Now, wait a minute. Jesus, I don't want to fish anymore. I'm tired of fishing. And there's no fish in this lake. That's what he's thinking, <laughs> right? Isn't, isn't it funny? And isn't it cool, by the way, that Jesus goes fishing with Simon? I think that's cool. But because you say to do it, I'm going to do it. I'll put my nets down again. There's an obedience and a lordship and a recognition, you know. Um, I wonder in our lives, I'll listen. We talked this morning about 
obedience already. I wonder um, how much Jesus has to prove himself to us before we can actually be obedient to him in our lives. I mean, how many times do you have to prove himself? How many hours about the 10th hour it says they had been with Jesus? How long do we have to spend with Jesus before we can say, you know what, it's probably not going to work, but because you say it, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to try. It's probably not going to work. How long do we have to spend with Jesus? For Peter, it was one day. Now the second encounter. All right, let's try it. When they had done so, by the way, check it out, they, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Verse 7. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. Now there's multiple people involved here, but there are partners in another boat. And they came over and they filled both boats so full that they almost began to sink. That's not what it says. They filled both boats so full that they actually began to sink. That's a lot of fish. Y'all, have you ever seen anybody catch so many fish that the boat started to sink? That's a lot of fish. Okay. Nobody's impressed with that. I think if you were a commercial fisherman, that'd be a good day. <laughs> when the boat's going under, yeah, let's go get paid. That's what I'd be thinking. Simon Peter sees this, and he falls at Jesus' feet, and he says, Get away from me, Lord. I am a sinful person. Peter freaked him out because he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had just taken. And so were, here it is, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. I want you to catch that for a minute in Mark. So the next two dudes who are out there are James and John. They're the partners in the other boat. They're the fishing partners that whenever things get really hectic, they get called into the battle. Hey, get over here, man. We need your help. We're not going to be able to do this on our own. And James and John come over. Then they start to load these boats up, right? They don't even know what's going on. And that's who comes to help out. Simon's partners in fishing business. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, because from now on you're going to catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and they began to follow Jesus. Before we go back to Mark, we're going to finish in Mark, but I just want to say, like, this is the best fishing day ever. And, and if, you, if you're in that boat, you have two choices of what to believe. You can believe you fished all night and didn't catch the fish because it was the wrong time or a bad, you know, strategy or whatever. And there's fish in this lake, and we need to come back tomorrow. That, I'm telling you, like, that's what, or you can believe that this person, Jesus, is commanding things that are so powerful and overwhelming that you can't do anything without him. And there's nothing in this world that's worth leaving him for. Or there's nothing in this world that you won't leave for Jesus. Do you see that? Best fishing day ever. And Jesus says those three words. Come follow me. And after that, not after a night of bad fishing and, well, nothing better to do, but after the most ridiculous catch of their life, they go, yes, I'm going to come with you, Jesus. Fish are cool, but you're cooler. 
Prosperity, success is cool, but you're cooler. Man, do you remember Peter later? He'll say, where else could we go? When Jesus said, we leave, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life, Jesus. Man, what won't we leave for Jesus? Like, there's stuff, isn't there? You say, I, I'm not leaving that. And there, I, I'm just believing that you see what Jesus does here and he blesses them and the moment of blessing says great now believe me and let's go follow me boy how many of us would get stuck in the boat with the stinking fish it's crazy they leave everything to follow Jesus now we would you want to go back to the gospel of Mark and so it's gonna be the same passage same page. We're to pick up again. When he had gone a little farther, this is the story of Jesus, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets, getting their nets ready to fish. I think this is interesting. I want to talk about it for a second, right? So when he shows up for Andrew and Simon, they're washing their nets out, and they're calling it a day. But whenever he walks down and sees um, John and James, they're getting their nets ready to go fish some more, right? You know, they were called into this. And what I, I can't help but think is knowing the story from Luke that there must have been a lot of wear and tear on the gear. And they're trying to get it ready to go again. Let's go fishing, right? I mean, this is awesome. And they're, they're binding up the boats. They're getting everything ready to go. And they're going to go hit the water, man. They're going to fish. Because they had just seen this. It says he walked a little ways off. He was talking to Peter. Peter's one in the boat that says, get away from me. I'm sinful, right? These other guys are just fishing. We don't have any engagement with them at all. And then here in Mark, we have him walk down the shore a little bit, go a little farther, see James, the son of Zebedee, his brother John, and call to them. He called them. And they too left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I want to give you a little bit, um, just some insights here, right? First of all, obviously, it says it right here that James and John are sons of Zebedee. That's all we really know. And Zebedee is left in the boat. That's what we know. It seems super harsh, actually. Um, I, I don't know if their fishing outfit was called Zebedee and Sons. That's kind of what I'm thinking was happening there, right? Um, but you know, if you've ever had that, I had some family businesses that were in my family's names and both sides of my family actually, and that was a big deal to the, to the namesake, to stay in that business. And, and so we see whenever they choose to walk away from their father and the business, it's a huge deal like that. Again, the question, what wouldn't we leave Jesus for? The sons of Zebedee said, we'll leave everything for you. Seems harsh, but that's exactly what happens. The second is that they were perhaps more successful fishermen than Simon and Andrew because they had servants in the boats. So they probably had more boats. They probably had more equipment. They probably had more of an operation. They partnered with Simon and Andrew. It, actually, isn't it funny? It says they were Simon's partners. They didn't say anything about Andrew. I mean, so who, what's this Andrew story anyway? Is he the guy that's always like running off to go find out what's going on in the world and coming back to his brother? Hey, you got to go see this, man. 
but they were partners with him, and they had a, probably a more successful fishing business, a bigger operation, more at stake, more in the game. You know what I'm saying? More to leave than one boat and a whole bunch of fish. And they were repairing their nets. That's another way that's translated, by the way. They weren't just preparing. They were repairing. They were fixing. They were mending the nets to go fish again. They had no other call in their lives. And in that moment, Jesus called to them. I'll mention one other thing about these um, uh, James and John. Their mother was Salome. And, and Salome is interesting because later, she's one of the women that go to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. And so they kind of, their whole, I just want to mention that because to me it was shocking to read that. That's in the end of the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. But Salome is there with Mary, Mary Magdalene, and Mary's sister, I think is what it says. And Salome are all there, and, um, and they are going to anoint the body of Jesus, which means that they had become believers. They had become uh, disciples. They had become followers of him. They had... And I just say that because all of a sudden you start to go, wait a minute. So you mean to tell me, now listen to me, that James and John, leaving their father's business and following Jesus, ends up transforming their family to become believers in Jesus. They thought the most important heritage they had to pass down was the business. But it, maybe it was faith. This moment of radical obedience changed everything. So they do. They leave everything to follow Jesus. Um, later, by the way, he calls them the, the um, sons of thunder, James and John. Thun, sons of thunder, another nickname. I love it. I love it. He says these words to them, come follow me. Why? Why would they do it? They go, well, Andrew and Simon are going, we're out of here. Do they make the connection with the fish? What would compel them to do this? I believe we, we see it. It's in the, it's in the subtext, right? But I, 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 I think, man, and I, I don't know where you're at in your life right now. I mean, like, I really feel this heaviness with Jesus. I really feel this, um, not me. I, I have no authority of my own. I have no, but I mean, I'm telling you, when you get into spiritual conversations, there's an authority, there's a heaviness, there's a weight to who Jesus is that you recognize. And, and I actually believe that when people recognize the weight, the authority, the heaviness, the properness, the sovereignty that Jesus um, has, we will leave anything for him when we rightly recognize him. Yes, Lord. Yes, I will follow you. And, and where do we see this? Well, the invitation is there. We see that, come follow me, right? And I believe the invitation stands for all of us. You can follow Jesus today. Follow Jesus. You can follow him. But look at what it says next. We read it earlier. Then they went to Capernaum, and we're going to talk about this next week more, but, and when the Sabbath came, that's the day of worship, the day of rest, Jesus went to the synagogue and began, began to teach, and the people, all the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. You see, it wasn't like meeting another teacher on the beach. When Jesus got in your boat and said, put on a little way, I'm going to teach these folks, you, you, that wasn't a command that you passed on, Right? He spoke, he had a presence of authority about him. And lest you doubt it, 
lest you doubt it, that he, well, you know, spoke with authority later. What was going on with the fish in the boat? What's Jesus doing in Simon Peter's heart? The Simon Peter that he met before. Simon Peter was brought to him by the disciple of John. He's, and, and it's so funny, right? We get caught up in this fish moment, but he's saying, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Yeah, you're the Messiah. Do you know who I am? Do you know what that means? Will you follow me? I think that question rings with us today. It rings in our ears. Do we know who Jesus is? Will we believe him? Will we take him in his word? Do we recognize we ultimately need him? We utterly need him in our lives. For people... Listen to me. For people who can take it or leave it, you don't get it. When my heart gets that way, I can take it or leave it, I don't get it. Because Jesus has absolute authority in our lives. And whenever he speaks, we go. We do it. A little clarity it's confusing in scripture. Lots of names are used and reused and stuff. I mean, a few are. Th- this John becomes the recorder of the gospel of John. That's this John. The guy, Zebedee's son. He, he gets to author the book of John. Different than, I say that because different than John the Baptist. It can be confusing. John the Baptist is not going to make that transition, as we know. But John, the disciple, John the apostle, will. Um, All these guys are sent out eventually as part of Jesus' crew. I want to, we're going to continue worship right now. I'm going to ask leadership team, if you would, to grab the uh, communion elements in the back. We're going to partake in something uh, that we've been doing at Family Bible since we started. And the church has been doing for thousands of years. I want you to get your head around that for a minute. Thousands of years people just like us have been doing this very thing for a reason. And I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, I want to read to you from the book of Corinthians. This is Paul's instruction to the church. And um, I, want to hear, I want to hear the word together. I'm going to ask the leadership team to come to the front when they get the communion elements ready. And I'm going to talk about what we're going to do and why we're going to do it that way. Okay? This is what Paul said. What I received from the Lord Jesus, I now pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, the word is you Christod, he broke the bread, and he said, this bread is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, that's a new promise in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul says this, because every time that we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Thousands of years caught up in this moment. I want to Let's talk a little bit about, we believe that this table is the invitation. 
we've had conversations in Family Bible Church, and maybe you've heard these conversations before. Well, should you receive communion if, if you're not a believer? I would say if you receive communion, you're, a, you're believing. <laughs> That's the goal. If you're taking the element and you're recognizing that in this bread, that this is remembering Jesus' body, you're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you take this cup and you recognize this is to remember that Jesus died to forgive all of my sins, and you drink that cup, you remember Jesus, and you're taking communion, and you're believing in his name. See, Family Bible Church doesn't have a closed table. We would actually encourage all of you to receive communion, every one of you. And the reason we would ask you to receive communion is we want you to believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in him not for wafers and juice, but for salvation. Believe in him for the forgiveness of your sins. Believe in him as one who you can follow right where you are, just like the disciples in the boat. I I don't know everything about this Jesus, but I don't know if I can follow him. So I'm going to invite you to pray about that today. And as the elements are passed around, I'm going to ask you to consider if you're believing in Jesus. If you're believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to take a piece of bread and a cup. And then after we've distributed all the elements, we're going to follow Paul's further instructions and we're going to receive them together as one body in Christ for those who are believing to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. If you are not, we are not laying guilt on you. You're being honest. But if you are believing in Jesus, this is a tradition handed down to us to proclaim his death until he comes again. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, we give you thanks and praise for your word today. We thank you for the brothers and sisters who came before us who were just like us, sinners needing a redeemer, um, acknowledging our brokenness before you, and indeed today in communion, acknowledging your sacrifice on our behalf, paying a debt we could not pay. And Father, for all of us, your children who come to your table, I pray we would come with those right minds and right hearts that we would recognize in the bread and the, the, the uh, juice, the, the cup, that we would recognize the body and blood of our Savior. We would acknowledge you for who you are. Father, I, I know there's maybe been a lot of stuff stirred up today and folks, and maybe some folks are just confused. I don't, I don't know if I can trust Jesus. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just push them over that line, that they would just come to believe in you no matter what, that they would, they would hang their hat on. They would, they would just say everything for Jesus. I believe it. I'll follow. I'll do that. And for those of us, Lord, who've been pushed over that line already, been dragged, some of us kicking and screaming into the kingdom, just say, you know, Father, that we would take this cup willingly today and say, yes, I proclaim again. I believe again. I'm with Jesus. Where else would I go? Father, for the consideration of what we're holding on to, that we would have open hands before you. We acknowledge your lordship. You give us everything. Maybe glorified. Your son, his sacrifice on the cross, is worthy of the whole world paying attention to. I pray smaller than that today. I just pray for those in the room that each of us would pay attention. We pray this in the power of Jesus' name, for the glory of Jesus' name, believing in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to um, take a moment, a moment before we receive together.
I, don't, I want you to just be a little weird. I want you to look, just look around for a second. Just look around, brothers and sisters next to you. I want you to recognize something when we do this. We are the people that Jesus gave his life to forgive. We are the body of Christ, the blood of his cup. And I want to ask the Andrew question, which is, who else needs to know this? Who else needs to hear that they are included to go follow Jesus? Being one body, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, one Lord and Master in Jesus Christ, let us partake together body and blood of Jesus.